thanks to my husband's readers. You just can't be in a hurry from one service to the other and not forget something. I want to make special awareness that uh, the Goulborn family has uh, family in the direct path of the hurricane uh, in the Bahamas. And so we will hold you and hold all of them in our prayers today. Our scripture lesson is found in Psalm 81, verse 1, and then verses 10 through 16. Hear the word of the Lord. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own commands. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. Then I would quickly subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe before him, and their doom would last forever. I would feed you with the finest of wheat, and with honey from the rock I would satisfy you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Bless, O Lord, the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts. O Lord, our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. Amen. Icons in the historic life of the church were used to teach an illiterate society the precepts of God's love and life among us. One of my favorite is a 15th century Russian icon by Andrea Rublev called the Trinity. The Trinity is pictured as three men. God is dressed in gold, signifying purity and, and value and worth and wholeness and fullness and perfection. Jesus is then dressed in blue, reflecting the earth and the water, just as the reflection shines in the water from the air, so does Christ reflect God and God reflect Christ. The green is what the Holy Spirit is dressed in and describing a quality of divine aliveness that makes things bloom and grow and have life. The Trinity are seated at a small table, and on the table is a chalice, implying that they are about to have communion together or have had it, and the supper isn't quite over. What's interesting about this icon is that artists believe that something is missing. 
In the front of the icon is a little square rectangle that still seems to hold traces of glue, which they believe held a mirror. So that if you came up to the Trinity and looked at it, you would see yourself at the table. What a powerful and wonderful story and possibility that the thing missing at that holy table is you. Your place where the God of love wants to be in fellowship with you more than anyone else. Essentially, our psalms are the story of God's longing to be in that intimate relationship with God's people. They're done in poetry and hymnody, reflecting the living, divine dynamic in which we are all invited to be a part. This hymn suggests if we listen, really listen to what God had to say, we would not only hear God, but we would want that same relationship among us worldwide. And that relationship would make us whole. According to the Talmud, Psalm 81 was a hymn. And not only was it a hymn, it was one of those that showed up every week and worship. On the fifth day of the week, which if you're Jewish would be Wednesday, the people would sing this beautiful hymn and remember once again the story of Israel's journey from the promise of the promised land to the journey that would be filled with difficulty. This weekly hymn would remind them that Joseph, the favored son, would be sold into slavery by his jealous brothers, and that that slavery would wind up having him shine as a person of wisdom in front of Potiphar. Now, he starts working for Potiphar. Apparently, Joseph was a good piece of eye candy because Potiphar's wife was going to mess with him. Joseph says, no way. And in response, Potiphar's wife has him thrown into prison again. Wouldn't you know that Joseph, he just shines anywhere he is, and he becomes known as one who interprets dreams. Wouldn't you know Pharaoh was having trouble sleeping. So Joseph comes and interprets his, his dreams. Pharaoh is relieved, and in his glee, he sets up Joseph as second in command. This great story with small suggests that it's from that position that God is able to not only allow Joseph 
rule of the stores of Egypt so that Egypt survives this devastating famine. But he's also able to welcome those same dastardly brothers into Egypt and feed them too. What a story. Of course, that's not the end of this story, and as all good things must come to an end, God's people forget again and again and again. And God comes in this red recovery of history to say, won't you just listen? I've been there in the past. Let's sing about it and remember it and just know that if you come back together, together we can make it work out. It is no mistake that biblical wisdom understood that original sin is the activity of human audacity to make its own choices regardless of the consequences. Isn't it odd then that we as a people have set as one of our highest cultural values the ability to be autonomous, self-sufficient, standing on our own two feet, not needing anyone for anything. A sign of wanting or needing help is weakness or a sense of instability and who would dare do that? As a result, humanity has never quite figured out how to be an autonomous, self-governing person and at the same time, how to be a child of a living God. The resulting chaos is a bunch of deaf-eared mavericks trying to let their own freedom ring, and what we get is a world filled with alienation and brokenness and more people dead and wounded and yet another shooting. To ignore God's voice and proudly choose our own way, in truth, is the source of our brokenness and folly in every generation. How does one get that wisdom? During the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln was said to have met with a group of pastors for a prayer breakfast Lincoln wasn't a churchgoer necessarily, but he was a man of deep faith, even though at times it was unorthodox. One of the ministers on that morning said to him, Mr. President, let's pray that God is on our side. Lincoln responded quite differently. No, gentlemen, let us pray that we are on the side of God. Lincoln reminded those ministers and us today that religion is not a tool by which we get what we want out of God. It's a relationship 
where we find our way as we eat with our Christ and led by the Spirit, knowing that when we are faithful, even in the struggle, God is glorified. Well, since we aren't good at listening, what is it that we would hear this morning? First, I think we need to hear this. We've forgotten, and I really mean forgotten, that God started this place in time and in our world with original goodness. God started with the creation of our world, not with original sin, but by getting and ending each day by saying it was good. Therefore, the ending place and everything in between possesses that inherent capacity for goodness, truth, and beauty. It's the opportunity in which we are placed. God is most interested in having the kind of relationship that would make this dynamic possible. Isn't righteousness fundamentally the definition of our relationship and not a moral obligation or destination? The righteous are people who acknowledge their fundamental reliance upon God, our dependence on God, saying, I need God with me as I do this thing called life in order to be the person I was made to be. Our happiness derives ultimately from God's forgiveness and the gift of God's faithful love. The righteous, then, are those who live by grace and dependence on their life-giving relationship with God, not on any perceived level of perfection. The wicked are simply those who consider themselves to be autonomous, literally translating a law unto themselves self-centered, self-directed, self-ruled. Their choices and consequences are due to their freedom, and God can do nothing but plead. Psalm 81 begs us to listen. It impels us to remember that God is everywhere and every time. God hasn't moved. Not only that, God isn't surprised by our mixed bag of results. God simply knows that we can't undo the past. We can only remember it and God's presence in it. And our option is forward. If we could just shift our listening, our awareness of God's presence and relationship with us could produce staggering results. We belong to God. You belong to Christ. Christ belongs to God. That's the plan to join God at the table. Listen, you were made for holiness. 
story is told of LaGuardia. You know that LaGuardia was the mayor of New York. Apparently only about five to always wore a little flower in his lapel. Known to be a bit of a character. He would hop on the fire trucks and ride the fires. He would jump in with the police cars and raid the speakeasies. He would pack up whole orphanages of children and take them to the ballpark. He was the kind of guy that when the newspaper shut down, he turned on, went to the radio station and read the comics to the kids on Sunday. Story is told of LaGuardia having shown up at night court, dismissed the judge and took over the bench. First case comes up is an elderly woman who says her daughter is at home sick, her daughter's husband has left them, their two daughters are starving, and she has stolen a loaf of bread to feed her family. To which the clerk at the store pops up and says, listen, this is a, this is a bad neighborhood. We can't let this go. We've got to make an example here. I can't be robbed blind. And LaGuardia pounds the gavel and says, Justice must be done, $10 or 10 days, at which point he pulls out his own wallet, puts his $10 in his own famous hat, and then says, I find everyone in this courtroom 50 cents for living in a city where a poor grandmother has to steal something to feed her grandchildren. It came out of the police officers and the drivers with tickets and, and the grocery store clerk. $47.50. Apparently, they all stood in ovation for the gift of God's justice and love done. Can you see it? Can you hear it? God's claim on our lives to make that kind of difference. But there's one more thing I want you to hear this morning from our song. It's that every week in worship, the people are to hear that God will pick you over judgment every time. When we read texts that suggest that God dusts his hands of humanity, we hear a God of punishment and revenge. The Old Testament appears to be monstrous in God's willingness to exact justice. But our knowledge of scripture and salvation history would challenge that notion. If the original intent of creation is love, then the final intent of creation must be love. It's only when we view God in light of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus that we get that whole picture. You see, the crucifixion is not what God inflicted upon Jesus in order to forgive us. The crucifixion is what God endured in Christ as he forgives us through Christ. Christ forgave because that's what God does. In other words, God would rather die than lose a single one of you. The cross is where Christ absorbs human sin and recycles it 
into forgiveness. Do you hear the hymn, just come back? Because love and goodness will not lose. This past week, there was um, a story from United posted about Brayson. He's a four-year-old with autism. Usually, he loves to fly, but on this occasion, he had a meltdown. Now, the average four-year-old can have a meltdown. This little guy with autism was really struggling. And of course, they can't take off without him in his seat. So the flight attendant says, comes, we can't fly. Can you get him in the seat? And she goes, we're trying. He has autism. Can you just give us a minute? She goes away and comes back with two more, and they say, what can we do? So they figure out if they can put him on his lap and dad can contain him there, that they can start the plane. And as soon as the seatbelt lets out, a sign goes off, they let him go. Restraint was so hard for him. And they sat on the floor with his little blanket because the vibration soothes him. And then wouldn't you know, the little guy starts kicking the person across the aisle. And mom says, oh, I'm so sorry. And she says, you just let him kick right away. Then he makes his way for first class. <laughs> there, he starts kicking the back of somebody's seat. And mom goes up and says, oh, I'm so sorry. Raisin has, has autism and and he goes, oh, forget it. Let him kick away. He gives the child high fives. And then everybody in first class whips out their phones and they start sharing pictures and telling little stories. And it's a love fest until they land. The original person who was kicked wrote a note and gave it to his mother saying this. Do not ever... Let anyone make you feel as though you are inconvenient or burden. He is a blessing. God bless your patience, your love, your support, and your strength. Continue to be a super mom. This child's mother said that this is the first time First time, did you hear? For, listen, first time in four years that anyone had approached her with compassion and understanding and support and help. What we're missing is coming to the table and seeing ourselves there as a part of the plan, as a part of the healing picture and movement of Christ in the world. You are deeply loved, deeply necessary. Listen, and God's good will spread everywhere you go.